Welcome to What's Left, a weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. We are online at what-s-left.webnote.com, and you can find the link to our blog in the episode notes. Please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications, share your favorite episodes, and jot down our information wherever you find found this episode, um, if you can. Um, my name is Andy Lipson. I'm a uh, socialist and teacher. We're rejoined again by uh, uh, Kenny Zapeta, socialist and community organizer. Um, and again, we have our guests, uh, Jessica, uh, who teaches English literature, writing, and environmental humanities at the university level in Pacific Northwest. And she's been teaching college students for eight years and holds a PhD in English. She's a longtime animal rights activist uh, and environmental activist. Um, and, and you also see here, we have John Kleisick uh, as, as a guest today, the author of A School Ward Order, The Technocratic Globalization of Corporatized Education. And he is a frequent contributor to Unlimited Hangout. So uh, first off, Kenny, welcome back. Thank you. And Jessica and Jake, welcome back. Thank you. Yeah. And we're, again, we're missing Eduardo. Um, he is once again traveling to another part of the world. Um, and uh, so he's not going to be here today. Eduardo, you're not getting a pay raise. Just kidding. <laughs> so this episode is going to be a little bit different. Um, and we're this the idea for this episode actually started with an uh, episode of uh, James Corbett. What does James Corbett do? It's the Corbett Report. Um, and he was he was answering, responding to a question. Um, the episode was titled, uh, What is the Trans Agenda? Um, and, um, definitely people should check it out. Um, and somebody was asking him, is there a connection between the trans the movement for transgender rights and the goal of transhumanism or was implying, is there a connection? Um, and, um, I found this, this, what he was saying interesting because it brought up a lot of thoughts and feelings for me. It's something I ended up discussing with Brandy. Um, and then when I was talking to Jessica about potential future uh, issue that we could discuss on what's left, Jessica brought it up. Um, and Jessica, what was on your mind when you brought it up? I just think it's kind of an aspect of this whole, I don't know, thing, global reset that maybe hasn't been touched on as much. And so one, I just felt like it'd be an interesting conversation. I think it's also another example of a topic that is so incredibly polarizing and so taboo. I, I feel like in the world of academia, like it is even more forbidden to critique, particularly the, the transgender um, rights movement, if that's what we want to refer to it as, um, even more so than a lot of the the sort of COVID related stuff, which is really saying something. So I think it's, I think it's just a rich kind of um, area. And I thought, the Corbett segment did a pretty nice job of sort of like concisely articulating this um, argument for a connection between transhumanism and transgenderism. Um, I think there's a lot, there's a lot more to it, which maybe we'll get into, but um, yeah, I just thought it would be a rich um, jumping off point for a conversation. Yeah. And, and I felt the same way in terms of even when, even before talking to you, I felt like, when I was going to bring it up to Eduardo and Kenny is something, Hey, maybe we would talk about this. Although Eduardo was leaving and Kenny was gone. I was nervous about talking about it for the same reasons. It's like the cancel culture, the sense of if you say something wrong, it's going to 
come back at you and, and things like that. So I feel that same sense of fear uh, in the topic. But again, what's left, our goal is to say we want to open these things up for discussion, because if we're going to be liberated, if we're going to liberate ourselves and liberate humanity, we're going to have to be able to talk about these ideas and not be forced to feel like, oh, I've got this right, but here's what I'm thinking right now. What do you think? Um, and so, I, you know, when I listened to what James Corbett was saying, or let me first say this, um, you know, I do believe of the transgender population is an oppressed group. I think they've been oppressed. I mean, or like they have been low person on the totem pole in the LGBTQ movement historically. That's my feeling. Um, and I do actually, I actually from personally, I appreciate what is brought into the notion of gender fluidity um, and how, and it has actually meaning for me, even though I don't identify as transgender, but as feeling forced into male roles, I actually appreciate a movement which actually says, you know, these things are fluid. Um, so I'll just say that, but um, what I think James Corbett was attempting to say, and I'll just try to see if I get this right, was even that he was recognizing that what there, there is some oppression that exists among the transgender uh, people who identify as transgender, but he's basically was I think what he was saying was the this movement which is about the fluidity of gender roles is is a movement that has really being utilized now particularly as it's more recently been popularized he's speaking of its more recent popularization by uh, by the agenda to essentially a, a transhumanist agenda which is essentially to strip people of their physical bodies and put them into computers and uh, have them live forever. Now, I think the transhumanist agenda is generally speaking of the future for the wealthiest, generally. Um, but it is, I think that's what he's saying is that that there's a connection between this recent move, what he's describing as a recent transgender or its or its recent popularization and the and a, and a, and a, an acceleration towards a transhumanist agenda that he sees as a result of the, the the things we've recently seen around COVID and the fourth industrial revolution and more and more data driven stuff. So that's my first take on that. And maybe I want to see if anybody wants to add anything to see if I've got it right um, uh, in terms of a rough characterization of what Corbett was saying. Yeah, because the sense I got was that this is kind of a stage in the progression, right, towards that transhuman, um, you know, world that, you know, it's not so much whether, um, at least the way I understand it, whether, um, you know, Fighting for or against transhuman rights is it's right. It's more about like that's the, it's part of the narrative that's being fed to us, you know, and that you know it's creating uh, the condition where, again, the cancel culture that we're not allowed to question this uh, fundamentalist mindset that I you know, which ironically is a binary, right? Either you're with it or you're against it, and if you're against it, you're out, you know. You you know, and like uh, he brought up uh, J.K. Rowling, right? Uh, the writer uh, who was canceled for making <laughs> comments and labeled, and that brings up also Dave Chappelle, right? Uh, that recently was in the in the under the, the storm of cancel culture um, and other people uh, that uh, you know are not necessarily trying to impose anything or, or don't even have the power to really impose something on people, but yet they're just you know. Um, thrown to the side and uh, there's no challenges to the orthodoxy of, you know, the main, the mainstream narrative. Yeah. I think he was also looking at just the timing of it in terms of how it coincides with 
like all these other reset movements. Uh, and then also why it is heavily politicized and lots and lots and lots of media attention at this particular moment that could lend itself to uh, the transhumanist movement. I, so that's the only other thing I would add to that. But, but basically, yeah, it's the same, same idea. Yeah. So here's where I agree with James Corbett. Um, I do believe that the capitalist class is using, first of all, I, yeah, I do believe that the capitalist class is using some ideology of the transgender movement that has been kind of hijacked from it and using it to push their agenda. Um, do I think it's a transhumanist agenda? I think it, maybe they think it is. I still think it's a profit agenda that that's the material basis of it and collecting more data and people and the rich separating themselves into a place where they can be, live forever. I can see that they want to do that, but I, ultimately for me, the, the drive is profit. That's what I believe is driving it, not the goal towards transhumanist. But I do agree that there's people out there and a, and a whole host of people out there pushing towards towards that way and willing to, to essentially hijack an existing movement to use it towards its aims, uh, towards its end. But this is not unusual. Black Lives Matter has been, racism exists, and yet the ruling class can use a movement like Black Lives Matter to push on identity politics and have a black be a, have a black defense person be the person who's bombing all over the all over the globe in the name of fighting racism. Um, and you can see it with the Me Too movement. Um, and how the capitalist class can use that to target each other, essentially, and also use their so-called fight for women's rights to justify bombing Afghanistan and Iraq into oblivion, saying those countries are, are, are lesser because we, we honor women's rights. They don't. We'll blow them up. Okay. So, and even you can see in immigrant rights, they can, they can take ele elements of immigrant rights, promote something like DACA and say, oh, we're, while they're essentially brain draining, um, the other countries, basically taking some of their people who they've who've, who've had often the, the most skills and been trained and they strip them and take them into their country. They say, oh, we're doing these people a favor while essentially they're just taking some people who are highly qualified and using them in their country to exploit their labor. Um, so the capitalist class has a rich history of taking existing movements that and movements that have the legitimacy of their own and using them against workers. Um, and the biggest problem I, I have with what James Corbett does is he he actually takes the capitalist use of it and then denies the fact that there's an actually a working class element and actually a working class basis for the fact that workers will be will be benefited from a more fluid understanding of gender um, and and a capitalist fluid understanding of gender. Yes, it's going to involve technology. It's going to involve profits. But I actually believe a working class understanding of gender fluidity, which I do believe is there. Could be liberatory and would be liberatory in the in the context of actual class struggle, um, which these movements, this movement was not produced as a result of class struggle. It's a it's a movement from above. So of course James Corbett doesn't see it that way. He's not a Marxist, but I actually believe what it does is it leads him to actually scapegoat trans transgender folks, uh, and 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 misidentify the actual culprit again, which would be the capitalists using this using somebody else's ideology or somebody else's fight in the name to smash, I would say smash workers here, not just transgender folks, um, but all of us, because it's essentially is trying to build or is trying to essentially build that fourth industrial transhumanist, uh, use human, use worker data to, to create a, 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 a world that, that in, in which the capitalists can kind of live forever in as brains in a, in a computer. So that's my first take on it. Can I respond? 
<laughs> so I, I agree with your kind of the parallel you're drawing in terms of the corporate like usage, infiltration, manufacturing, I would even say of a movement, uh, the parallel between BLM and the, the trans rights movement. Um, I would draw a pretty, a pretty stark comparison. And I feel like I'm, I have a pretty different perspective, um, not of your characterization or any of your characterizations of the link James Corbett's drawing. Um, but just of the characterization of gender, right? Like I'm kind of coming from like more of a radical feminist ideology, I guess. And so for me, like BLM, even though it's kind of become like a corporate motto almost, right? And Amazon's jumping on board and Boeing's jumping on board, right? And it, it really has become um, corporatized, right? Even though you have like real grassroots, you know, like the New York chapter, right? Like they're totally against the mandates. They've split with the national organization, right? I would argue BLM has like at least some legitimate roots in actual left-wing pro-worker resistance, like resistance to the state, resistance to the state's monopoly on violence. Like to me, there's no question, right? Black people are frequently and systematically denied human rights, Police brutality is real. Racism is real. I see the trans movement as different. I mean, I really do see it as a corporate manufactured fiction that 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 harms women and girls. Um, and I think, I mean, this is this is again like coming from a more of a radical feminist understanding of gender. And I think maybe we should talk about just that word and like what even. Like, I'm really curious to hear your your perspective, Andy, when you said sort of like you do actually see it as gender fluidity as um, part of like the pathway to, to liberation. Um, I think that's kind of what you said yeah. um, to me. Like, I, I think I mean, transgenderism, like to me, is actually a right wing ideology because it's dedicated to kind of reinforcing this whole idea of masculine and feminine, right? Which under capitalism and under patriarchy is it's dominant and subordinate classes, right? Like this is how radical feminists refer to ourselves. Women are a sex-based class. Um, and so it's almost always highly dependent on kind of outward appearance, appearances, stereotypes, right? Um, you know, and I think we'll get into this because I know, um, Jake, like you brought up like Judith Butler and queer theory and, and right, like those like post-humanists, I guess, would kind of classify some of these outward expressions as like, like progressive or as transgressive, right? But a lot of times, like it is defined by clothes, makeup, like these kind of performances of femininity or masculinity, right? Which the whole thing like depends on sex stereotypes, right? Like, like if you wear lipstick or you, you want to wear a sparkly dress, right? Like as if that somehow kind of makes you a, a woman. Um, and so I just want to kind of bring up the, the radical feminist critique of gender, right? Like our goal as feminists is actually 
to abolish that whole idea of gender, right? Um, to get rid of it completely because we see it as an ideology that forms basically like the foundation for women's subordination. So I don't know if that, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, I want to hear people's responses. Either Kenny or Jake. I, I can I can just sort of talk about where I'm coming from if that's fine. I, I, I'm just I'm just super uh, reticent, and I'm nervous for two reasons. We can cut this. One is for the same reason you know Jessica is nervous. I mean, you know, I'm a white guy and who's considered the the token right wing guy here already. I'm like already like you know I'm gonna be uh, potentially misunderstood. And then the other thing is I do think I over prepared, and I'm afraid that if I I, I'm just, I'm feeling reticent about both things, but, um, so I agree. Okay. So let's start with this. Like, as far as Corbett, like I would say that he didn't spend a lot of time, um, uh, you know, identifying with or sympathizing with the realities of transgender people and their struggles for rights. And, but I, I don't, I didn't see it as him conflating the though that identity group with transhumanism like a one to one ratio or uh, or conflating like the movement for transgender rights like a hundred percent with transhumanism. Now, now his analysis that was a hundred percent, ninety nine percent what he focused on, but he did have caveats in there, you know, to say basically like I'm not saying that all transgendered people are, are on board with this and that, you know, you can just say that one is the other. Um, and so I agree with, with you, Andy, that, um, you know, that, uh, the corporate hierarchy, uh, which I would basically say is more than the capitalist class, they're eugenicists at the, at the very top, uh, that they do, um, conflate or co-opt all the various movements we're talking about. So did movements for workers' rights, movements for women's rights, movements for black people's rights and other people of color, movements for transgender people's rights. And you can see it in all the rhetoric of the fourth industrial revolution and the great reset. So the working class is when they talk about community-based this, community-based that, this communitarian stuff, which basically is pulling on the root of communism. And then when you look at, they have the ESG uh, status for the companies, which is your environment, social, and governance. Under the social uh, acronym is, right? So they want to, you got Nike and Amazon, like, yeah, we support BLM. And yeah, we support gender equity. So all these different groups fit into this great reset paradigm as a, as a mode that is co-opted for technocracy. So I agree with all of that. Um, I, my analysis of how the transgender movement, we'll call it, is being hijacked or co-opted by the technocracy and, and the, uh, the oligarchs at the World Economic Forum. Uh, I want to look at it philosophically more and uh, in terms of the, metaf the metaphysics of the philosophies that they use. And when I say metaphysics, a lot of people think that means like new agey, like spiritual stuff. It just means first causes or first principles. 
So based on based on their philosophy of their whatever their ESG movements are, um, or you know their their community based uh, projects, like what is their what is their metaphysic? What is their principle that that actually all of that ties on? Because if you just listen to the language at the surface level and you listen to it at a very superficial level, the ethos sounds like right, it is trying to help all these people. But if you trace the the philosophy back, um, you will find that it ultimately, um, well, let me just do this real quick, that way. (laughs) I don't know if this is gonna fit, right? So what I wanted to, that's not, I'm too close. I don't know if this is, so what I wanted to do, and this is what I think Corbett was trying to do here, is it on screen? There's a big light on it, though. Isn't yeah. It? Here's what we'll say is what. But, but Don't it, erase it before you take a picture of it. Exactly. Oh, it's on it's on paper, too. I did it on paper first and then I did it colored. Anyways, it took me all day because <laughs> I got so many different things moving around. If I try to just remember it, I won't be clear. Right. So so what he was what I think he was not saying Um. Well, let me start with this. I, I, my analysis is looking at it like this: the transgender people and the transgender com- community, that their their struggle for rights is being politicized by certain philosophies in order to push a transhumanist agenda. Okay, and the 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 root of this philosophy, the two that I want to look at, is one called, uh, as uh, Jessica mentioned, was. Queer, queer theory, which Butler frames as performance identity, which basically means an identity without essence. That's why LGBTQ, it's not LGBT and we assume that they're all queer, right? So I don't, so, so, so first off, I'm not saying that all transgender people are queer or that they adhere to performance identity. Okay, I'm also not saying that all transgender people are transhuman or adhere to transgender ideology, uh, and, and thereby, right? I'm, I'm, you know, transgender people are humans, right, and therefore deserve human rights, equality, liberty, grace, all these things. Um, but where the philosophy sort of moves into the political realm, I would call that the identity politics, or what what sometimes is called cultural Marxism. And I know that some people don't like that term, but that's the term that I'm going to use. And then that feeds into the economics. And the economics is, Andy, what you're looking at, that's the transhuman, I would call it transhumanist consumerism. Because in order to basically, uh, in this paradigm, the, the great reset paradigm of transgender identity, that uh, to actually uh, express your transgender identity you necessarily have to undergo the various surgeries and procedures. That means that you basically have to use biotech. And so it's pushing, and you know, and then you're then you're gonna be on hormones. So there's big pharma, there's biotech, and that's the element where corporate profit and corporate industry comes into play. Uh, and then another layer to, to the idea of the performance theory is something called thing theory. And that just basically means that an object becomes a thing once it is misused or used in a way that transcends or transgresses its, its traditional or common use value. So basically what you're saying is in the politics, it's race and sex without essence. 
in the realm of philosophy, it's identity or objects without essence. And in the, the economics, it's basically your biology and, and nature or the environment without essence, right? Without essence, we mean there's nothing that makes you human. If there's nothing that makes you human, you're, you can be, you're the same as any other raw materials that can be commodified and manufactured. Um, and, and therefore, you know, at, at the end of it, the vacuum that's left in this essenceless space is power and efficiency, which is corporate technocracy. Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. I mean, I want to talk about how deconstructionism touches into that, but that's that's enough jargon for now. Um, and so that's, I just wanted to, you know, so, so for the rest of this, when, when I'm talking, right, I wanted to distinguish the philosophy, the politics, and the economics from the people themselves and their, you know, genuine and legitimate struggle to be humans in the way that they see fit. So the fact that now we have three different people who are confusing our viewers, Andy's confused by what Andy said, and then Jessica, and then Jake. Now we get a fourth person. Kenny, you can now confuse folks. I'm confused myself, but um, <laughs> I'm processing a lot. I, um, and that's what I wanted to be part of this um, you know, conversation. I am a Marxist, you know, I see it from a materialist point, maybe a little reductive in the sense of, you know, like I generally find an issue that this is what happens when we talk about identity and, and you know, and um, because it's hard really to define identity and, you know, and, and that's why I'm a materialist, you know, because, and also like Gramsci, right? Like the, I, I, I tend to look at the world and look at the hierarchy from above and, and the, the dominant values come from the top. You know, we tend to think, and I think that's what, Corbin was saying, that's what I read, that, you know, that uh, these narratives, and that's why I focus on the narrative, that we've been, is becoming dominant in, 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 you know, culture, and they, they are created um, the conditions for the capitalist system, you know, because that, just like you, and I do see it as profit, not so much as, um, that the, the dominant ideology that I see at the very top is profit, you know, in, in, in the process, they capture all these uh, segregated uh, movements um, that I think fail to understand the way I, I understand the world. Doesn't mean I'm right, but in the sense of um, we will never see each other eye to eye on, the, on that, those lenses, you know. And, and I, I will never be able to define or even try to define what is it to be a man or a woman. You know, and and I think that's that's the point of those roles, you know, to divide and conquer, you know, and, and of course, patriarchy, you know, precedes modern capitalism. But it, it, from a Marxist materialist perspective, as I understand it, um, and it's a little maybe simplified, you know, it's like whoever dominates the, 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 the means of life, dominates culture, dominates, you know, just like men, right? Like they dominated that. And so they impose those rules on women historically. And, um, but I think this is where, um, this is getting reversed, right? Like, just like uh, that in order, we're talking about not oppression, liberation, but, in, but it is uh, more oppression really, because it's dividing us even more because it is so confusing to define. I would never, you know, that's something that I talk to my people, uh, 
that's why I hate identity politics so much. Because who is going to put a hierarchy over what? You know, uh, I've had people, you know, you know, that want to impose because they're an oppressed of one kind over others, you know, and yet, so we're, that's my point that we're confused and we keep getting confused and segregated in fights and either you're in it or you're on the other side, you know, while the system t continues to operate and take advantage of these arguments. And not to say that I don't, I don't want to be part of this. I think it's important to understand, but at the end of the day, to me too, it's also the fact that these conversations need to be had among normal people, you know? And like, honestly, like I consider myself relatively educated, but I get lost. The most people won't get, won't engage. And so that's, that in itself tells me that a lot of, you know, these complicated philosophical, theoretical uh, conversations work against us, you know, the people that are getting the burden of it. And the only true way to understand each other is on a personal level, you know, gaining trust in the struggle. Because, you know, like, you know, all of us here, we have different identities. And, you know, like, um, we would never, again, you know, I mean, I can label myself, you know, an immigrant, brown man, you know, and then, uh, you know, from a third world country, and, you know, who is vaccinated now. And, and I can add all these layers. And so what I get from Corbyn, again, just to bring it back, it's not so much like whether, you know, trans people deserve or not deserve. What I get is that, you know, just like, like you said, Lipson, Black Lives Matter, all these movements get co-opted for the purpose of profit, you know? And, and I do see a link for what you were saying, Jake, Jake that there, now I see that, oh yes, it makes sense. You know, more people, you know, uh, wanna, you know, change who they are. And, but then that brings me into things that I think are products of capitalism, dissatisfaction. And this is the Buddhist in me, you know, like the dissatisfaction of not being okay with being human, not being, because we're flawed and not accepting that we're flawed and we're decaying and dying every day. Not accepting those things, you know, and, in, and again, I'm not saying that, I, I'm also afraid, you know, that I, I don't wanna say that, you know, trans people don't have struggles, but that's not for me to judge. You know, that, that's not what I'm here to say. You know, what I'm trying to say is that the narratives get co-opted. And that's what I, I wanna say, you know, be careful with that, be careful with falling into that militancy of, this is my identity, you know, and. And in that way, accepting some sort of queerness about yourself, of being fluid in terms of everything, your know, perspectives and, and you know, who you are at any time, um, so long as it's independent, right, from, from these forces that want to pin us against each other. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's mm -hmm. kind of my spiel to confuse people. <laughs> um, can, I, can I make a comment maybe to try to tie... Jake's point and Kenny's point are part of them together. You can, and because I'm going to respond a little bit to yours, so go ahead and do it. Okay, because I, I, at the risk of sounding militant, <laughs> um, Kenny, I wanted to just pick up on something you said about, I think first you said like you wouldn't, it's hard to, it's hard to define identity, and I, I totally agree, but then you said you would never, you would never try to define like what it is to be a man or a woman, and I, I mean, I want to 
push back on that a little bit. I, I think maybe, maybe like we could use femininity and masculinity. Like, I don't know how you're supposed to define those. Cause it's, it's like I said before, like, it's not, you know, a dress or, you know, the way you walk or whatever. But I mean, I think to, again, to try to maybe tie like the materialist approach to some of the queer theory, which I was, I was saying to Jake over email earlier, um, that like I, the first couple of years of grad school, I, everybody was like obsessed with queer theory at that time. It was like, oh God, like 2013, 2014, like right around there. And like, I was just like a brand new fresh grad student. And I, I like, I read Judith Butler. I read a bunch of the queer theorists and like post postmodern feminists. And I, just could not wrap my head around it. Like it was so confusing and so alienating as a woman. Um, so anyway, all that to say like where I'm kind of going with this. So people like, people like Judith Butler and, and queer theorists, right. Um, they kind of claim, they claim that transgenderism, uh, is, is transgressive. And then it's even like revolutionary or liberatory right because the idea is that it sort of destabilizes the gender binary right or like that border feminists as i said before like feminists argue that 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 gender is the foundation like of the whole political system of of male domination right um and so like to me with the whole performance performativity thing like there's this weird weird thing with queer theory too, where it, like this, like idea of like play and like playing with gender, um, with gender. And to me, that feels kind of like a fetish fetishization. I think it is a fetishization. Um, and I think, you know, maybe for some people it is kind of like fun and games. Right. But to bring it back to sort of like a material, like what is the actual experience of human beings? Like I, I would pose to those queer theorists, like, I want to know how a woman about to be raped by a man, you know, is supposed to sort of play or like perform her way across that gender binary, right? Or like identify such that she doesn't get subjected to like the most, you know, the most brutally, one of the most brutally violating acts, right, in existence. And so I was actually pulling um, some of this, the, the latest statistics um, before, before I hopped on this episode. Okay. So just like for a little bit of like materialist context. Right. Um, and I think this is why, uh, like why it is such a, such a hard issue, um, that I think a lot of women who talk about transgenderism in women's only spaces of which there are very few left, um, because of this, you know, the popularization of this sort of like non-binary movement. Um, why, like, we feel so terrified to talk about it outside those women's only spaces. Um, and that's because like the material reality of our lives is that the biggest threat that we face, like the biggest threat to our safety, statistically speaking, right, is not fucking dying of COVID. It's not Islamic terrorist or whatever, right? It's, it is male violence. Like that is what it is. So I was looking at stats. Okay. One in five women will be raped in their lifetime. That's just in the U S 
Um, out of those rape victims, a third are uh, either a child or a teenager. Overall, in the U.S., 25% of children are sexually abused during their childhood. And then I think on college campuses, it's like, it's one in five for the general population. I think it's like one in three or one in four just on, on college campuses in the U.S. Half of rape victims are raped by their partner. Um, so it's not, you know, like the private is not a, a, a safe haven, right? Like the private is political. The private is also um, public in that sense, I guess. I think it's like every minute uh, about every minute that a woman is assaulted or raped uh, just in the U.S. So like even just like to put it in perspective, right? Like this conversation we're talking for probably like 90 minutes, two hours, right? So that means 100 women in the U.S. will be raped or assaulted just in the space of this conversation. So to me, like, I don't know, just coming back to this idea of like gender and like performing or identifying, right, as some sort of tra transgressive act, um, like it's not, like that is not the material reality of, of women and girls in the US and certainly not worldwide. So, well, thanks, Jessica. I, I guess what I was thinking, well, first what I, I guess what I'll say is um, you sent out some videos and you, you, you posted or had us watch a, or had me watch a YouTube video of radical feminist uh, speeches, oh. right? Yeah. And one of the things that was true for, and I think some of the things they said echo some of the things I've heard from you. I'm not going to say you, you would agree with them, but I'm, or fully with them, but they sound similar. And I remember the context of that is they couldn't say what they were going to say unless they had police escorts there, right? Because there were activists who were saying, you can't, these, these, uh, these activists, essentially, these women feminists who had been part of fights for abortion rights and fight for all, all sorts of things that I would agree with, fight you should fight for, they, were, they would be part of the left. There was a section of the left basically saying, you know, you can't come up here and, and say these things. Yeah. And so I, what I appreciated was remembering that in some ways I used to think that way, like that you might, and that I've come some ways to basically say, no, that, that those folks are important. They're, they've been part of the struggle or whether you've been part of, it's important that these ideas get opened up because, you know, how are we going to, how are we going to change the world if we can't talk about the world and the world is understood in many ways or part of the world is understood in gender terms. If, if I have, I tap, happen to feel like that actually does work against workers to, to see it in that binary way. And I actually, that's my view. Cause I, well, I'll, I'll say more about that later, but the fact is, is that it's important. And, and, and the fact is, is also, if I had just met you, um, like we were, if I was flowering on the street around something and you were like, well, no, transgender rights are, is a right-wing movement. I would have, I would have looked at you and not, and I would have let that pass, but I would, I would have been in my head, oh, that, you know, right winger, blah, blah, blah. Right. And I would have, I would have written you off. Um, and, um, it's fortunate that I do know you. It's fortunate that I'm in a better state of mind to say, look, where is this? Per I don't really know where this person's coming from. So I, I appreciate you saying that while I, I, I don't, I don't agree with that. Um, or rather I, it's, I, I, the things that I know or the things that I believe don't conform to me be, say, well, no, I think it's a, I don't want to, to agree when you say that it's, it's, it, it's oriented around in a right-wing movement. I'm sure you've read stuff that can prove that, but I'm just saying, I don't, I don't agree with that. Um, but I do believe that what I saw in that 
in that woman's uh, thing on, on YouTube was I saw what looked to me like the dead end of identity politics, which is identity politics, which, which frames itself around, well, we'll fight around our identities and the identities will come together at some point and we will fight our common oppressor. In reality, identity politics are divisive politics. And what I saw in that video was one identity that felt, one identity movement that felt threatened by the existence of another identity movement. That, that's how I looked at it. And, and I, saw, I see that with African, you know, the struggle for black liberation. And that often happens in the context of the fight for immigrant rights. You can see a similar thing where black native workers are being pitted against immigrant workers who are said they're taking your job or native workers are picked against immigrant workers. And it's, it's, it's seen as if we're against each other. If you, if you don't understand it, I, I would say, if you don't understand it in a broader version than just identity. So that's how I viewed, viewed it is what I saw there in that is that one, those, those, those people should be speaking less, should not say that they should have no right to speak. We should welcome that conversation, but I still will say that what I saw was the, for me, what the dead end of identity politics. And I would describe feminism as a version of identity politics that say that the, ultimately the, the prob, the divisions in society between men and women, um, because even in your own description there, when you talked about sexual abuse, I know that you obviously were, were, it was implied that that doesn't include men, right? It was implied because there are many men victims of sexual abuse and when they're children. Um, and it was implied even that rape doesn't include men. And I, I'm not saying it's more the majority, I don't know, but that was, it. I would say that those sexual violence in society and gender roles and the fact that we cannot slide through gender things and, and really even the notion of being separated from yourself and wanting to figure out how to get close to yourself, to me, is a function of alienation under capitalism. It's like what Marx talked about, alienated, alienated labor that leads to alienated workers, that leads to alienated from yourself. And these are what I think are at the root of people looking to find them their better selves or their truer selves. And I do think James Corbett, even though Kenny and, and Jake, you don't see James Corbett, I do think ultimately the logic of what he's saying is no, get back to your gen, I feel is get back to your gender roles. You know, stay in your stay in your lane. Um, because I do believe a liberated society, I believe it would actually see, you know, you, your sexual orientation is fluid, all these things that I, I can't remember who brought it up, that it's just a binary. I think all these things are free to be, to be walked around. But if, if, if your that, sex isn't, say again, your sex I, is not, fluid. I do believe it could be actually, actually it can. And in terms of even, I think even there's some scientific basis of not just this whole thing of XY and XX. There's people with XXY and XYY and XXX kind of things. And, and so there are different, and then there are different ways that f uh, physiologically children display different things, you know, in terms of when they're first born. And then there is a notion of well, we've got to do an assignment. And all I'm saying is that the, the imposition of saying, no, we, we're going we're gonna to make it gender fluid from above, I don't believe in. But if there was actual class struggle, which there isn't, and class struggle does not mean electioneering, electioneering, and I'm not even calling class struggle going out into the street. I'm saying in the context of genuine class struggle, where we were actually having to unite to fight our actual oppressors, 
then I actually believe that might produce a situation where we would actually see what kind of gender fluidity that movement might produce. That's not what's producing this thing that we're seeing. This is produced in the absence of class struggle and is being imposed as a capitalist attack on workers. But if workers did fight and if workers were fighting against what we're seeing right now and we're fighting collectively, and that would include people who do experience a sense of like, I don't know, I'm not comfortable with being called male, even though I look male, but I'm all you. So I want to move over here and I want to be seen this way. I think that those people would be included in such a movement and would be part of such a movement. And we would, we would figure out ways. And I personally think workers, that's my, from the, in the same way that I feel hemmed in by QR codes, frankly, I feel hemmed in by mail. I do. It feels like a fucking prison. And, and so I, I would want, I hope that could be opened up. And frankly, the, I, the, the things that have come, some of those elements that I've heard from elements of that transgender movement have given me a sense of, oh yeah, I'd like that to be opened up, that space to be opened up. So I don't have these, this very conditioned response, which I think was bred into me. I wasn't born with it, um, but bred into me through society and through a capitalist society that benefits out of dividing us into these gender roles. Um, I would say we might look at sex differently or we wouldn't, we wouldn't care. We would just call ourselves humans. So maybe Jessica, if you want to respond to that. Look like Kenny wanted to jump in. I I don't want to take up too much space. Well, we are. Let me ask, let me ask two really just like clarifying questions. And then I want to hear like other people's response. I mean, I'll, I'll respond if you want, but um. I disagree with almost everything, but I, but I love that because usually I, usually I tend to agree with you, Andy. So I think it's good. Here we are. Um, I just wanted to clarify one, um, you said feminism you see as kind of an expression of identity politics. Yeah. So, so I would like to know, do you, do you, would you not, you would not agree with the sort of, uh, Marxist feminist term of considering women a sex-based class who are oppressed oppressed um oppressed under the the under the base on the basis of their of their sex right yeah their the division yeah. the division between productively reproductive people who are reproducing and yes i do believe there is an oppression that came out of that out of class society Oh my gosh, I'm so jumbled. I don't know. Someone else go. <laughs> Kenny, why don't you give it a give it a go and then can come in and then Jessica, yeah. if you remember that question, we'll put it in and see if you can. Yeah, and it, you know, it's similarly to Lipson, you know, that whole like I feel, you know, oppressed myself in certain ways. I'm not and I'm not putting it in a hierarchy. Like that's a, the, the thing that I want to avoid in terms of my identity and like growing up a male, you know, whatever presenting person in this world. Because you know, I grew up in a very violent society where there was definitely a lot of you know male abuse over women. You know, and my mother um, herself, she fist fight men. You know, she was strong. You know, and I saw a lot of people, women, you know, with that characteristics that we consider you know very male, right? This binary. And so, and so on the other side, like I grew up with a lot of men that were emotionally castrated. That's how I call it. You know, in 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 limited. You know, in, in that way. And so that's why I, I, I play with this idea of, you know, we, we, we're, we're, we're indoctrinated, right, into situations 
um, and to see males, see women as you know, a thing, property, a thing of consumption, of delight. And, and you know, that's why I'm a Marxist revolutionary because I do work in the community here. I've done a lot of work with, you know, advocating for trans rights, you know, with uh, trans refugees who are the most abused on the path to the U.S. My partner herself, she's for years worked on that, you know, and I've learned a lot about the struggles that, you know, people that identify as trans uh, suffer on the way. Most of them are, are, you know, whatever, biologically male, you know, the transition to uh, female, you know, um, and, you know, I still don't get it right. You know, I'm still learning. But um, long story short is that they still, you know, faces the material conditions that makes their ability to liberate themselves hard. And, and so I think that's the pitfall of the left, that we engage in essentially culture wars. We want to change culture. You know, and, and I don't, just myself from my standpoint, we, I don't see that ever changing unless we change the material conditions. But in the process, dealing with all this, like this to me, what we're doing here is the struggle, having these conversations, but understanding that, for example, like the, the my, my partner, she works in a, in a nonprofit that she hates. She hates the nonprofit because she sees the capitalist structures, but there is a lot of abused women. And, and she understands that, you know, the, that nonprofit system actually perpetuates violence. It will never solve the issue. It's just a, a bandit unless, like, you know, as a Marxist, we eliminate private property somehow, figure it out. I don't have the roadmap, but unless everyone is guaranteed housing, regardless of your identity, so you can flee an abusive situation and liberate yourself. So you have options to do that. You know, unless we achieve that, that's why I'm a Marxist, you know, I focus on the material because that will set people free. Like, otherwise we will be playing saviors forever. You know, and that's why I focus on Marxism, you know, as a materialist, not so much on philosophical. Yes, we have to talk about theory and it has to be in the hands of people, everyday people, it has to be palatable. You know, that's why I do this show because I want people to understand in like simple terms. I engage with my mother, my, anybody, you know, because that's a fundamental thing to me that, you know, I, we can be, unfortunately, there's so many layers of abuse, you know, to, for so many people. And, you know, I, 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 I used to pick and choose my battles. I, I've been, you know, environmentalist. I've been pro-immigrant rights. I've been pro-trans rights. And, you know, I've been, pro, you know, against, uh, you know, racism and all this stuff, stuff. But as a Marxist, that's what led me to where I'm at now, that I see the connection in the common you know, oppressor on us. It's not even a person, it's a system, you know, and unless we do away with that system and it's gonna take us understanding that's the goal, not changing culture. And the culture has to change organically from the bottom in the struggle and understanding and finding trust in each other and acceptance, even with people we don't agree, but understanding that our common North Star, you know, is the same. And, And I think in that we will grow or we won't. If we don't learn the lessons on the way, we're gonna fall. And that's what we're doing. And, and it's actually, we're digging deeper into, you know, uh, more uh, cracks in, in, in the struggle on the left. You know, we're the ones advocating for fascism, actually. You know, <laughs> like, so watch you from the right. But, but I think it's a problem from that, from the identities. You know, 
like I, 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 like I, I, like personally, I've gone through so many like traumatic experiences, but I don't care to explain myself. I don't have to to gain access. I shouldn't, you know, and that doesn't define me. And you know, and and so again, that's why I'm a Marxist, and not not so much. That's why I'm against identity politics because I do see it as a divisive thing that you know convolutes everything that just makes it a mess. And, and, and it is basically what my friend said, it's, it's just uh, oppression Olympics, who suffers the most? Let's just put the decks or, you know, Uno cards. And, and at that point, it's like no one wins, except the, you know, the people at the top. Jessica, you wanna come back on any of this and then I'm gonna go to Jake. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking about like the example of the shelters that you mentioned, Kenny, and like abused women, right, who need, who need a space to go to, to feel safe and try to recover, like on a material level. Um, and I'm thinking about the, I'm thinking about the language, right? Cause the language is really important for any, for any issue, right? Like the framing. Um, and for me, like the way, you know, people make light of the trend towards sort of gender fluidity and non-binary language, right? Like with uh, pronouns, with, gender neutral terms kind of being implemented. Like right now, I know pretty recently in, in the UK, like the NHS on all their materials, they've changed like birthing mother is now birthing person, right? Um, all of the, like, that's just one example out of many. Um, and for me, like that, that is so much more serious than it seems on the surface because, you know, like, several of you have mentioned, right, like the importance of just even just having these conversations. And I think for women in particular, right, like without sex specific language, like we no longer have the ability to sort of articulate our experiences, like our, our lived like material conditions, like we can't advocate, we can't organize, like without that language, it truly like it really is an erasure. Um, and then like with the example of shelters or, and we could talk about, um, like the implications of, of this stuff for like incarcerated women, right. Who are some of the most invisibilized, like voiceless people on the planet. Right. And you now have gender ID laws. Right. And like one of the first things that Biden did when he came into office I think it was actually like the first day, maybe the second day that he was in office, right? Like he put through this gender identity uh, executive order, right? Um, and it basically replaced uh, sex with gender identity. So um, every, like every place in the law where you have language seeking to protect women as a group, um, as a class, like based on our biology, you now have it replaced with gender identity, right? Which they can't define, like, as we've all said, like you, you how do you define gender? Like, how do you define identity? Um, and it applies to every, every federal agency everywhere. Like we're talking about government housing. We're talking about, uh, public homeless shelters. We're talking about women's shelters, um, like rape center, right? Um, the whole public school system, um, anywhere that gets like federal money, basically, right. You now have, um, a flattening, 
right? And yeah, I mean, I understand like the perspective, you know, like it started, I remember like years ago, like the first time I really started to think about this stuff was with like the bathroom issue, right? Um, of like, we need to have like sex neutral, uh, like inclusive bathrooms, right? Um, but when you actually see the, like how that plays out, you know, this happened at, I think it's, um, what is it? Van- Vancouver rape shelter, right? Like they've been, they've tried to shut that place down so many times because they will not let, um, biological males, like transgender women in because it makes like these women have come in, right? Like undergone just some of the most traumatic experiences of their life, right? Being almost, you know, across the board uh, done by, by, by males, like by male violence. Right. And so you could understand like why they would not want a biological male in that space. Same thing with prisons, right? Like, and there've already been like, since this, since Biden's executive order went through, there've already been alleged rapes, like at the Washington, um, women's, uh, what is that? Like the women's, um, injuries and I don't know what it's called. Um, California, you have alleged rapes, you have like the morning after pill being passed out condoms being passed out in women's prisons so think about like you know you're a you're an incarcerated woman which on average like though that population um has suffered by far the highest rates of sexual abuse like you know it's very very likely that an uh, your average incarcerated woman has undergone that experience and you imagine like being locked in i don't know an eight by ten cell with somebody who identifies as male um and may not even have undergone like any hormone any surgeries anything like that like they, they're just self-iding right um and i understand like we want we want to include everybody right but like this is a material issue for women like that i don't know i kind of went off one thing i was going to ask you uh andy the question I was going to ask you was about how you said sort of, you know, the, you see everything to sort of like the worker struggle. Um, and, uh, this, your, your, your goal, right. Of like overthrowing our oppressors as working class people, as a proletariat. Right. And I, I guess I would just pause it with gender and sort of like this sex-based discussion. I think women would, I know women would see men as our oppressors, right? And especially if we're, I, th- I forget, I think Kenny said like, you know, obviously patriarchy goes back well before capitalism. Um, I think it's like, to, to me, like this flattening of the gender spectrum uh, is not like, it, it's an impediment. It's not, it's an impediment to, to liberation. It's not like the, the goal. And I mean, again, I would abolish gender altogether because I I just don't think it serves us. Um, I can come back to that, what you're saying. Jake, do you want to want to take it from here? You know, I'm going to try to tie together what everybody's said so far, uh, which means I'm going to be very brief, but not very detailed. That would be awesome. You could do that. Well, so, because okay, so first of all, we all have different perspectives. There's places where we're agreeing and there's places where we are maybe disagreeing or just not lining up. And one of the things, though, that I I think I'm hearing us 
all sort of agree on is that like regardless of identity politics, regardless of gender, sex, race, class, we're all humans first. Um, and, you know, that that means that it, the way I see the identity politics and um, and I believe that some of the, the leading theorists would would basically posit the same uh, the same premise is that I would whereas I would say that we are humans first and then we are class, race, sex, gender, etc. They would say the opposite, that primarily I am first this identity category, and then therefore every the dialectics of my identity group with others. This is this gets back to this idea of identities without essence, or we could even say dialectics without essence, is that the essence, the thing that would hold us all together would be human and in, in humanity. And that doesn't mean that like we have to define what it is human to be put in like a box. Um, like I watched that, that Dave Chappelle, uh, the most recent one he did. Um, and what's interesting is, you know, when you heard about it in the news, it's like, Oh, he's really, you know, uh, you know, bucking the, the transgender, you know, paradigm with his, you know, his, uh, brash comedy or whatever, but I don't know if anybody's seen it, but I didn't even see it that way. So, so the way that it was framed in the media, tells me or, or, or confirms what I, what I see as it, the whole politicization of it being used as a, a divisive weapon. Uh, but at the end of it, and I'll, I'll just skip to the, the whole there. He tells this long story about this uh, transgender woman that he has this relationship with, this friendship with. And at the, at the end, at one point, he says to her something like, you know, hey, but I, but I don't understand. I, don't, I still, I, I love you, but I, I don't get it. And she goes, I don't need you to understand me. I just need you to believe that I'm a human being having an experience. And so, right, believe that I'm human. So we can we can do that. Okay, we can all do that and not have to not have to understand the other person and not have to get it right all the time. And that's this is called grace. <laughs> this is where you you know you it it in, it encompasses compassion, sympathy, and also the freedom to be yourself. Now, what Jessica is saying, though, is like that's that sounds all nice and dandy in the abstract. But the <laughs> examples that she's provided, like if you're a woman with female biology and especially if you have been a victim of assault by male biology and you're coming off of that and you're in a space like a halfway house or a jail, like. To, to, to have to have those those biological body parts in that space with you which is a strange place where you where you probably don't feel safe even if it was just women because you're coming out of this traumatic experience and uh, you know it's a precarious situation if it's a halfway house if it's a prison right you're you know not uh, not feeling welcome anyways right like I don't know how this, this, you know, the idea of just believe I'm a human and get along when we start, like, as, as she framed it, the material consequences of these, these different biological realities in these, in these spaces, like, that's something that 
I don't know that you can actually, you know, just 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 change your perception about it, right? And so in, in that in that regard, um I, I I get I get what Jessica's saying. And um, you know, to that extent, I I, I don't know that you can I you could definitely play with gender fluidity, but I don't know that you can play with the sex fluidity in the, in the sense that, right? Like if I'm that woman in that space, there's nothing that's not going to see that body part as the weapon that was used against me and then, and, and a potential real life threat. So, I mean, there is, I think there's a material consequence of that, that that cannot be avoided by any framing of language or philosophy. But that's what I would say. Yeah, I mean, nobody's confused about what a woman is when she's being raped. Nobody's confused about what a woman is when she's giving birth. I don't know. Go ahead, Kenny. <laughs> I wanted to say, you know, about those places of, you know, where people are trying to heal and you reference Jessica. And, and again, that's why I bring it back to democratizing, you know, society. You know, like, uh, again, my partner has been working at democratizing that community you know, fighting against the nonprofit industrial complex because they just impose people on these communities who themselves are the source of their own healing. You know, they know, like an outsider who went to school with some theory, like won't know that, right? That's another level of identity there. Like the difference is even if you have the same parts, if you've never been raped, you can never relate to someone who has been raped. So, so again, for me, it's about democratizing the processes taking control of our own communities and environments, you know, like those people in this particular place that I have in mind, where my partner works, that they themselves are agents of their own healing, you know, in whatever they decide in their community. If they don't want any male parts, that's their decision, you know? And, and so it still comes back to me to taking over our own communities, our own lives, you know, and changing the material realities you know, putting them in, in a democratic process, not in these impositions, you know, these hierarchies, these dictatorships that we're all subjected to. And, and, and so that's what I want to say about that. And can I just, and then just to add one other thing that, that I uh, probably should have added to is like, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jesse, but what I don't hear, just like I didn't hear Corbett saying like, you know, no, it must be binary. I don't necessarily see here Jessica saying, saying that everybody that, that, that transgender people can't exist but it's just that she wants to be able to that, that there should be something that is female and then a space for females in the same way that there can be something that's transgender and a space for transgender and then obviously a common space where we all get along but obviously in the sense that there is diversity right there's spaces where we can be unique in our diversity and again, if I put words in your mouth, you, you, you tell me I'm wrong, but I like that's this is to me the, the puzzle. Right. It's like. Because in order to not end up like, you know, as I framed it in the beginning, we're, we're everything is an identity without essence and everything gets blurred together. And there's there, there is no uniqueness of man or woman or trans or black or white or whatever, historically or culturally or biologically. Uh, then, then we actually don't have diversity. We just have commodified people. We literally have human beings becoming products, like c commodified, you know, homogenized, like mass manufactured on a, on a, you know, like a, a factory belt. 
dollars. Jessica, you want to respond to that? I mean, I, I do have a thing I'm thinking, but I, I want to give you a chance to. Well, yeah, I mean, I hope it's, I hope it goes without saying that I, I support human rights. I don't think anyone should ever be denied safety or, or food or shelter or, or community on the basis of like how they identify or what they wear or what they believe or any of that. Like, of course not. Um, but I don't really, I think sometimes it gets framed as like a human rights issue and I'm not, I'm not sure that it is. Um, and I also, you know, I also want to say like in line with all of my previous opinions on, on other episodes about like the, the vaccination and masks and all of this, like I, I fully support everyone's right to bodily autonomy. Like you should be able to do whatever you want with your own body. Um, I do, I do think there's, um, I question surgeons and, and medical practitioners who are willing to uh, cut into perfectly healthy flesh, sometimes uh, children's bodies. Um, uh, to me, that seems a violation of, of the do no harm contract. Um, and I question, although I think, you know, there's obviously massive amounts of cultural uh, cultural pressure and indoctrination. I, I do question parents' uh, decisions to, to allow people to do that to their children, you know, and, and you can't really separate like the, the trans movement in its, in its current state from the medical industrial complex. Like, I mean, that is the reality of it. I mean, unless you're just like, obviously it is, it is actually like pretty popular to just sort of like identify as non-binary, maybe use they pronouns, um, whatever, like, but you don't actually undergo any like physical or medical interventions. Um, but in terms of like actually trying to change your own body, I mean, like the effect of these types of, um, medical interventions, right? Like puberty blockers and hormones and surgeries like they have material like permanent material effects right like sexual dysfunction infertility reduced brain development uh mental illness sometimes like a lot of a lot of these kids especially are on they're on psychiatric drugs like alongside the alongside the hormones or whatever they're taking you know, and, and it, and it adds up to like a, a, a lifelong dependency on the medical system, right? Like that shit is permanent. The, the young girls, right. And this is like a lot of, it's interesting. Like, um, Kenny, how you mentioned like the, that your partner, like most of the trans individuals that you're uh, referencing, I'm assuming are like adults, adult age are, um, male to female. Um, and that has traditionally been the pattern um, for decades. And it's it's also been like a really, really, really small like fraction of the population up until very, very recently. Um, I mean, like kids would have gender dysphoria, but it would in the grand, grand majority of children like that would just resolve itself. 
Um, it was a very, very, very tiny sliver of the population. I think it's like maybe like 0.01%, like a tiny fraction of a percentage. And it was mostly boys. Um, but then in the last, like, I don't know, maybe five to 10 years, it's just the, the gender, um, patterns have like completely flipped. And now you have this like epidemic of really, really young girls, um, seeking medical intervention to, you know, uh, supposedly like become boys. Um, I think in the, in the UK, it's like over 4,000% increase just in the past decade. I'm not sure what it is in the U S. Um, and so I think like with that, I mean, these girls aren't, they're never going to be able to have a child. Many of them will never, they'll never be be able to have an orgasm. Right. And I think again, like, like these are young, like young kids in some cases. And, you know, you have, now you have like a lot of, um, I don't know if I'd say a lot, but there are some like detransitioners, right. Who are, who are starting to speak up and about like the effect that this has had on their bodies, like autoimmune conditions, severe, severe depression, um, you know, the list goes on. Like you can't, you can't, you can't actually like detransition fully. Right. Um, so I just would, yeah, in terms of transhumanism, but even just, just on the face of it, like, I, I think we have to also kind of square this with our, our critiques and prior like disdain for the medical industrial complex. Like, how do you, like, how do you square that with this, this movement? you know? And again, like you should be able to do whatever you want to your body. Like if I want to chop my arm off or kill myself, I think I should be able to do that. But you know, it's not a lot of times it's like, you know, a a 14 year old, like having a double mastectomy, like what, like, what are the ethics of that? I think it's really scary. Yeah. And I think so I want to tie the two two complexes you brought together, which was the state complex when you mentioned a figure like Joe Biden, you know, making changes. And then you're talking about the medical industrial complex, which I agree with you. We, we can really see today how this thing operates to as part of a dictatorship, really. Right. As part of a way of of it, it's part of the matrix of a, of a current tyranny that we're many of us are experiencing. And the framework that I think about as I think about. Joe Biden saying, um, oh, I'm going to create, uh, we're going to help create these avenues for trans transgender people here. Or when I think about the biomedical industry saying, we're going to help you do things. I think of imperialism. I think there is a legacy of empires controlling foreign populations by picking one, one group that is, that is under the boot, but we're going to lift you up and then we're going to use you to smash the rest, and we'll smash you, by the way. So there is a long tradition of British Empire, of U.S. Empire, Chinese Empire, or Russian Empire, of that, of we understand that process as a colonial process outside of our, outside of our country. But it's not a process just that's outside of our country. It exists, that colonial rule exists within our country, and our ruling classes, and, the, and I would call Joe Biden, part of our ruling class, I would call the biomedical complex part of that, had no interest in liberating transgenders when they made transgender bathrooms, when they decreed it. It's part of our common enslavement. It's part of our common divide. It is a, it is, it is a conscious divide and, and conquer strategy that they're using to divide people, to divide left and right, to, 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 to separate women from another oppressed sect, I would describe 
I actually think these are natural allies being divided. Um, and so, so there is no liberation that, and there, you're actually, you're completely right, Jessica, to be very cynical of the, because it's coming from the top. And it, and the only thing, it, and these are the same people who brought us the scamdemic, the pandemic. Like, how are the, how are these people instituting tyranny across the board, but they're, but they're allowing this uh, transgender liberation movement through it. There's no way that that's like everyone's getting smashed. It's just they're going to use and they're going to lift different groups to smash all of us as well as them. And that's what that's personally the dynamic that's in, that I believe is in play because the questions you're asking are legitimate ones, but they can't be answered by the ruling class and they can't be answered by whatever the ruling class is doing because they're not looking for those answers. That kind of question you're asking about, well, what would you do about women who've experienced rape? Uh, how, how would they? What would be that relationship between a, a person who was identified as a man or has been identified as a male, but who him, that, that themselves believes that they're a woman and, and identifies as a woman? If that movement, if, if those questions were actually in an actual movement that we were a part of, and then I think we would come up with different answers than, than just like, here's what we're going to do. We're imposing this. We're coming up with that. So it, 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 the complexity of the question can only be answered out of, in my opinion, out of working class struggle. Um, and that's, there, is, there is not working class struggle in this country out of which such questions are being posed and answered. We are completely divided. And in fact, the, the divisions have grown as different ethnic groups or, or oppressed groups are being plucked out, raised up, and then thrown down and discarded later just so they can divide us. And partly just so they can divide us and partly so they can refashion their legitimacy and say, you need us. And lastly, offer people the idea of individualized liberation, which is a myth. No one under on this kind of tyranny can liberate themselves just by like, oh, I'll find this way. I'll get this sort of change made. I'll take these sorts of drugs. I'll do this sort of thing. And I'll, I'll think this about myself. I'll call myself this. I'll use this pronoun and liberation will somehow, that's that, that's my way. There is no way through language. There's only one way, which is the collective struggle to, to remove the capitalist class. Unless it's part of that, then there, there's no liberation. And, it, and the liberation comes out of what Kenny was saying. How do we actually overcome these divisions that do exist, that have been put between us as well? How do we overcome that and actually challenge the power, which is getting over on us? On those on the basis of those divisions, I gotta I gotta say something here, which is where and this is, fits with some of the other points that I had, the framework I had set up, uh, and we all know, right? I'm I'm not a Marxist, right? And I I and so y'all believe that, that the material dialectic comes first and the ideas come after, but right now, what are we doing? We're trying to solve the problem with ideas, right? Like like this particular problem actually does require the ideas to precede. And I'm not saying that there's not a material dimension to that, but I'm saying that before you can organize all these different groups in terms of material, like we could find some solidarity as working class people, but the only way to for these different groups to see that, that, that the human community and the working class community is the first category is to have this dialogue of ideas first right because some of these some of these different identity groups are not thinking about it in terms of class so you know if to the extent that you can galvanize some working class movement the people that see themselves primarily as 
race, class, sex, gender, right? They're, they're not going to be in there. So, so I would, I would differ on that. I, I, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, even Marx himself, right? Like, first of all, his idea came from Hegel, which was ideas. I know he inverted it, but then the, the revolutions and the different working class movements came out of Marx's ideas, right? Marx wasn't necessarily out there on the ground. I mean, you know, him and Engels were, you know, pushing that movement, but it was his literature, right? It was his words, his ideas that sort of spun. So uh, I'm with, I'm, I'm, I want to hear what you and Kenny have to Yeah, Kenny, yeah. <laughs> I agree with you. I mean, and, you know, that's why I say that theory has to be in the hands, you know, like Russell Luxemburg would talk about it. Like we can't just bastardize and relegate this, this, you know, the world of ideas to the academics and the experts. This has to be in everyday people. That's why I work in about in simplifying, you know, and making it approachable, right? Like versus um, just being very academic. Um, and so, yeah, I agree with you. I do. Uh, where I I put an emphasis on the material is that um, in the struggle and the actual on the way to change things is where we will see the reality of things, you know, like where we exchange ideas, where we disagree, you know, that's when we, because we can theorize, but in practice, if we don't practice it, that's where we're going to have to adapt and come up with new strategies or, you know, listen to different groups in the struggle. And if, if we're not able to come, you know, together, if we end up oppressing another group in, 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 in you know, in that struggle, then I don't want to be part of that. Then call me an anarchist. You know, like, uh, but, but I mean, I'm a Marxist, a revolutionary socialist, whatever, but because I believe that it takes the collective, you know, individuals can't change anything. And in the, my ideas can be powerful right now, but like, if they're not, if people don't actually find use that useful in practical, real terms, you know, and if we don't have produced material, you know, uh, changes that are tangible, no one's going to follow you. You know, and so that's why I put an emphasis on materialism. And then because I do believe that in that process, culture will change. But I think that's what's inverted right now, that they want to change culture. A lot of people that do do it out of good heart and well-meaning want to change culture and expect power to change. No, we have to go for power. And that's what Russell Luxemburg would talk about, who's, just, you know, one of my biggest influencer, influences, that it's about power. It's about the collective democratic power you know, to truly do the things that we want to do, you know, otherwise we're just following into the trap and that's what this is, you know, that's why I do agree with, you know, in a way with Corbyn, you know, that I do see the link between this and transhumanism, but I also, you know, maybe to like, we can jump into that if you want, but even transhumanism, you know, what is that? And I, I think that's also a pitfall of us thinking of, you know, this future that we're talking about, right? The QR code future, the techno-fascist future, you know, as being this one solid thing that's distinguishable. But I actually think transhumanism is here in some ways. We're already plugged into the system. Our bodies are, we are, a lot of us spend most of our day detached from our bodies living through these screens. So it's already here. It's just, you know, and, but that, I think that's a pitfall of, of um, imagination to think that it's just this one movie-like future, but it's slowly just solidifying. It's an abstraction right now, and 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 so, sorry, maybe I'm just jumping around, but I I do think 
don't know. Sorry. Well, I want to agree with you real quick, which is, and I want to caveat what I just said to, to synthesize because, right, like when I say ideas, I don't mean ideology. And you're right. And I'm guilty of being overly verbose and jargon filled with, you know, when I try to explain things in terms of ideas. And like right now, like if you had, if, if there were, if you crystallized an ide- a working class ideology and tried to beam it through all these Zoom meetings, that's not going to do anything. Even, even if somehow the ideology was right, it needs to happen in human space with human interaction and those ideas, not ideologies being developed through the human experience. And that has to be in human space. So that's the material part of it where you're actually interacting with people in physical space. Uh, so I just wanted to add that, like to say, that, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, we just, oh, we all got the right ideas. Everything changes. There's, it's, there is a synthesis there between the two. Yeah. And, and it does need to be organic and not, yeah, go ahead. And I call that socialism. <laughs> I call that communism. Just so like, to be clear, like that's, maybe I'm very simplistic in my understanding of it, but and that's what it's going to take, you know, not, not some expert telling me some bullshit that, you know, It'll take people becoming experts themselves and having an opinion and being empowered to say something and determine their own, you know, shaping their own communities, you know, and running their own lives. Jessica. No, you go. Uh, you go. <laughs> I talk too much. <laughs> no, I, I want to. I, I think it's. I want to hear what you have to say about where where you want to take it. I was. I'm going to respond to Jake's thing about what comes first, chicken or the egg, and I. I'm going to be the opposite. About ideas versus. Yeah, you go first then. Okay. Well, see if I could. Okay. Um, well, Marx, um, Marx had no impact, a very little impact on the struggles in England and even in Germany of the workers. He was he was like a he was a, a biographer of it, and he was being influenced by their actions. Um, and the, so the, the workers who who were fighting the capitalists and they're fighting their bosses um, didn't really know Marx. They probably knew people like Charles Owen and Fourier more than Marx. Um, and uh, Marx merely saw, saw himself as a scientist studying the society and saying, I think society, I believe, based on some previous people who had said these things, that society is divided in classes. And so you're right, though, Jake. Marx was tr- trying to get at the idea of what does it mean to be human? And he saw the fundamental thing in being human was what you do which I'm not sure I fully agree with. I also think it's what you think, but fundamentally what made us human is what we do. And, and the alienation that workers experience is increasingly what you do is being controlled and the products of what you do are you're separated from it. The fact that you are just one little piece of a part and you don't even know what that part is. The fact that you are separated from workers and the fact that products themselves that you build come back and, and replace you. Like he, he described that process of alienation as, as deeply disruptive to the human spirit. Um, but I do believe actions come before ideas. Um, and I do believe that, that ideas are a product of actions, uh, and that that's so, but why is this space important? Mostly for me, just to give people the chance to say your ideas matter, whether you agreed with Jake, whether you agree with Andy or Jessica or Kenny or none of us, your ideas matter because we're workers and we will, and it's going to be the, it will be the synthesis in moving together as we discuss what we think, whatever that produces, that's those sets of ideas that exist in that diversity. That's what I, will, that's what I'm fighting for is to the, the process of that finding, expre- finding expression. Um, 
because none of us believe it can be beamed in anybody's heads, whether we, you know, um, so that's what I would say is, and I believe if we take action, when people, when people take action, they'll do so far in advance of what their own ideas are. Like their actions will be ahead of their ideas and it will be in the discussions that think that, that, that those, and the, and of them trying to figure out what they're actually doing and how do they deal with the capitalists fighting back, um, that, that I do, I do believe an ideology of liberation can be born out of that. That will have to take up the kinds of questions Jessica's asking, um, and that the 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 women at that conference were were raising um, that are legit, like not legitimate. Like I don't have answers to those, but they need they do require answers because a person who has been harmed like that does have to have a place where they can go and commiserate and heal with other people who've been similarly harmed. All right, Jessica. I don't know where I would stake my claim in the sort of chicken and egg question that you guys are. And you can, you feeling. can don't feel like you have to either weigh in on if you have a thought. Yeah. On you, but well, no, I, I'll question. just say something quick. And then I maybe wanted to pick up on like the direction Kenny was going and maybe yeah. that'll take us to the next, I don't know how much longer I want to go for it. Um, but I just, just to say like with the sort of synthesis, I mean, just for me personally, like some of the most liberatory moments have been reading like embedded in you know an, uh, a world of ideas as some people would say see it I, I mean I kind of I always love that um Milton going way back Milton's Areopagitica where he says like books books are living things like they're living breathing souls and so I, I mean to me it's like that's almost material like I don't even see that act uh, and same thing with like conversations. I don't even see it as sort of like fully in the world of ideas. And I mean, I remember the first time I read like a radical feminist text, you know, since we're on kind of that subject, like I, I physically felt uh, just like a weight lifted, you know, uh, this sort of like, yeah, okay, ideology, but it, it physically sort of alleviated certain feelings of guilt and alienation and uh, confusion, like from my body, like on a material biological level of like, Oh, like this, all of this like bad crap that I have experienced or has crossed my mind or whatever. Like, it's not all just me and like my fault and my imperfections and, you know, like it, it's not so much of it is it's, it's systematic. Like it's, it's manufactured and maybe kind of like to transition to like this whole more of like the transhumanism side. And like, can you just, you know, talking about like, like being human, right. Um, you know, I, I completely agree. Like we are already in transhumanism, like, yeah. Okay. Um, factory farm workers right like being treated like robots like their arms are literally mechanized amazon workers in assembly lines qr codes crossing borders all of this like digital id seems like <laughs> implemented more and more like by the day um but i also think like even just like i think andy and kenny both said at one point like you feel caged by being male or have felt that way at some point and I think as much as all of the sort of like robot mechanization stuff which has been going on for so like so long 
Um, I think that's just as fundamental to transhumanism, this like disembodiment and like detach. I mean, that is that like, that's fucking sad. Like it's sad hearing you guys say that. And it's such a testament to how successful the capitalist project and the transhumanist project has been already that they have made us feel almost like hate for our own bodies. And I mean, you guys feel like that. Imagine what it's like to be like a 10 year old girl. Uh, Like no wonder they want to become boys. Like no wonder people want to have plastic surgeries and you know, all of this, like we've been conditioned to hate our, our like most precious life giving, you know, material like flesh. Um, I, I think that's like, you know, almost like a bigger Testament than anything. And I think that's like the biggest thing that I, I want to resist, you know, I think we need to all sort of, I don't know, like figure out ways to kind of change that relationship that we have to ourselves. Right. And like to, to be more human. And I know Kenny, like you have maybe some examples of of that in your recent trip. Yeah. I don't know if, yeah, if you want me to share, I I would. I mean, I, I, um, some people probably heard my episode, you know, about my cousin, um, about traveling to Canada and basically being forced to get vaccinated, not finding a way to get there um, with the, time pressure because um my cousin had cancer and he was deteriorating really fast and uh, so he passed away last sunday not this sunday the sunday before uh december 5th i remember that forever uh and so yeah i traveled to canada qr codes you know uh and and I, in that episode i said that the reason i was going and that regardless if whether i got to see my cousin alive one last time i would um I would still value that experience because I, I felt that, uh, you know, in this struggle that we're in with those, these QR codes, these uh, dehumanizing things that we're being subjected, you know, these identity things, proving who we are, right? Who, proving that we are, we have the key for the lock and key system uh, has been dehumanizing and, and, and isolating uh, it. Um, and so, yeah, got there and, got to spend time with people, with family, and got to grieve, got to cry, got to touch my cousin's body one last time, got to say goodbye to him, got to put him in the earth, you know, and and also got to share with all the lives that he touched, you know, in person, not through FaceTime, you know, not through an avatar, um, you know, not through Zoom, you know, in person, and, and that, to me, is valuable. You know, it has a grounding uh, effect as a human, you know, and that to me is what's at stake with what we're talking about, right? Like that 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 experience, you know, of being human. And, and in many ways, we are, we are sold, I feel, that the idea that we can transcend that, right? That experience, that we can be beyond that, you know, because I do think that capitalism sells us this horrible relationship to life you know and death you know which is part of life you know the, the fact that we age the fact that we are not perfect the part the the fact that we're flawed in, in you know in in 
I, get, I do have said that in previous episodes that I, that I tried to lean on Buddhist principles, you know, of basically acceptance, you know, that we get old, we, we get sick, we age and we die, you know, and, and in that same space, you know, of having this true, the strongest human experience I've ever had because I never lost someone so close. At the same time, I was horrified because I saw the kids, the younger ones, kids under nine, communicating through an app. They all were had cell phones or iPads. They all created avatars that did not resemble themselves. You know, brown kids, you know, with having avatars with green eyes, uh, you know, in in like blonde and, you know, in. You know, it makes me think of another episode of Second Life, uh, which was, a, you know, a, 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 like a platform where people could live an entire life. And, uh, you know, and again, this is not new. This is not new. And I remember playing video games and making our own, you know, baseball players or soccer players. You know, this is not new, but it's more insidious and it's becoming more clear materializing. And that's what I understand as transhumanism, you know, or at least the initial steps of seeing those kids experiencing life through a screen, you know, and in in that way, like they are connected. I think with the movie, The Matrix, they are connected to The Matrix. I I mean, we do it too, you know, but they are getting the young ones. That's that's who they really want. We've discussed this on the show and I, you know, John, you've wrote a book about, you know, uh, you know, education and technology and, and, and that's what saddened me because I had these two realities, right? And that, that's like the dividing line for me. Mm. Like this human experience that I, that I as, as hurtful, as painful as it was, it's what being human is about. You know, it's where you've, right? It's what I think distinguishes us from animals, I guess. I guess people can make that argument. But then we have this other experience that I don't know how these kids are going to grieve in the future. Or, or if they will, you know, learn that or, or, you know, and, but I was also hopeful because my partner came with me and, and she understands, she engages, she doesn't dive as deep as we do on these topics, you know, and sometimes she doesn't understand everything we, we talk about, but she understands humanity. She understands the human experience. She, she saw them and she said, fuck this. And she worked so hard to gain the kids trust, you know, because the kids were just like ignoring her for, at first. But she worked so hard to gain their trust until she got them to play and throw the iPads away. So that's what gives me hope. You know, that there's still people that care, there's people, the people that value, you know, this human experience, you know, and that, that means getting hurt, you know, that means getting up after getting hurt, that means messing shit up, you know, making mistakes, that means accepting that you're flawed, and struggling to accept yourself more and more. And, and, and I just want to honor my cousin in that sense. And, and I'm sorry if I get emotional. <sighs> what that to say is that we were not supposed to have more than 50 people at that venue. And we had a hundred plus because my cousin, he was imperfect. He was flawed. He had demons inside. He was this macho man that probably caused harm, you know, to women. Um, but he also loved, you know, he was this complex being 
he touched people. He associated with, you know, the poorest and the richest. And he didn't know theory or politics. Um, and yet he touched so many people. He showed up for people. And so he also played soccer. He was good at it. And the point is that at some point it was beautiful because, you know, in that people clapped, clapped for his life because he closed the circle. He left in peace. My cousin, he, I feel like he found an enlightenment. He left in peace and he told his brothers, take it easy. You know, be, be calm. I'm good. You know, and that is the human experience. You know, like I'm hurt right now, but I'm also happy for him because he, he struggled for that thing that humans struggle for, I think. Or at least I hope we do, you know, to 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 wrestle with our demons, to, you know, come to terms with our lives. And I just think that's beautiful. And like in the context of all this bullshit, you know, of, of having to show who you are and like speaking in a gang or where you belong to. I think his his story, you know, this flawed being, you know, coming to peace and making peace with everyone that he had hurt, or at least most people, it's beautiful. And that's what I fight for, you know. That's why I went to Canada. I went out and I, I, even though I dealt with all the QR bullshit, the vaccine bullshit, I'm glad I went there because it gave me fuel again to fight for what we're fighting for, you know, which is our own humanity. Yeah, yeah. Can I just, I just want to say you touched on something that is profound, which is we're talking a lot about rights and human rights, and a lot of times that means like the right to have your space and to be safe and to be validated. But human, hum, your full humanity is really the right, like you said, to to be flawed, to make mistakes, to to struggle, and. You know, even if you could somehow be put in some pod where everything was constantly, you know, copacetic and you had all your needs met all the time, that would not be human. And so that's uh, that's just that very profound. And I just wanted to touch on that. And thanks for sharing. Yeah. Yeah, ditto. I think one of the worst crimes from the past two years is, you know, so many of the people who have died of of COVID or with COVID, right, have been like the elderly in nursing homes or hospitals and so many of them had to die alone you know probably surrounded by beeping machines and people and you know masks and god knows what and and also like the people that they left behind who didn't get to say goodbye who didn't get to grieve them properly who didn't get to hold their hand or touch them and i think I mean, it's just such a, it's just such a crime. Like it's such a, it's, it's not right. And yeah, it shouldn't have been allowed to happen. Like to die with dignity too. Like, I think that's one of the fundamental like desires that we all have as humans and we should have that. Right. You know. And certainly you should have people who care about you around you when that happens. I don't give a fuck about infection fatality rate. The one guarantee in this life 
was none of us was getting out alive. <laughs> now I know the transhumanists, especially at the top of the pyramid, right? They they would like that, but all you can hope for is to to live a life with dignity. And that doesn't mean that everything goes your way and you do it perfect all the time. That means that you pick yourself back up, that you find meaning in your suffering and, and you know you basically carry your cross. Uh, and I and I, I think there's something the people that want to live forever, I think that there's that is intimately tied to their misanthropy. Like we talk a lot about racism and misogyny, but like at the top of it, they hate humanity. It's like they they hate the fact that humans are flawed, and they want to reimagine that to use their language. And uh, that's not to make it better. That's not to you know they might say it's to perfect it, but it's really to annihilate what it means to be human. And um, so. It's so funny that like, you know, the whole idea of transhumanism is like to transcend like the so-called limitations of the body and, you know, our mortality. It's like they're so scared of death. But the whole agenda is like so against life, you know, and I, just, I feel like it's, you know, embedded in that whole like capitalist framework and certainly transhumanist framework you know it's just such a contempt like for the body like we've talked about for human connection and then also like for the land right like that's the that's kind of like the eco-feminist uh analysis which I think is really important in all of this and maybe haven't touched on you know like thinking about like the figure of the mother right related to to sex or gender you know the human mother and then the mother land right and just as you like mine for resources right which is like marring the land it's like violating it in that process you might you mine the body too right like whether it's for labor like labor labor or like reproductive labor productivity capital data now right it's like how many ways can you find to exploit the human body um and then like with nature, like ecosystem services and financialization of nature and all of this that we've talked about before, right? Like turning the land into a machine and then turning the body into a machine. And then they call it like tra- like transcendence, right? As if it's some sort of like spiritual or religious attainment or something, you know, like rather than the, the exploitative, like anti-life agenda that it that it is really right like and they I mean I think this is why they hate like transhumanists hate women they hate the earth they hate the human body the natural immune system right like they hate birth they hate death everything innately human and everything innately like imperfect as you said Jake um which to me is like everything innately beautiful right and 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 maybe you know part of why they hate it so much is because it is so powerful and it's like a, it's a power that they can never really measure up to, you know, and it's threatening in that way, you know, and especially like, you know, a, a woman, right. Like we, we have the power to create life. Right. Which to me, like, I mean, that's almost the greatest power that you could have at least on the earthly plane or whatever. Right. Um, all the technology in the world, all the, capital like that can never replicate what it is to be alive you know and whether that's like a woman giving birth like 
in her own power, giving birth to her child, or it's a, a tree, like giving, like purifying the air that we breathe or healthy food, like coming out from, from healthy soil or a bee pollinating a flower, or, you know, like grieving the loss of somebody that you love. Like these, these things are, are real and beautiful and, and that should be enough. That should be enough. And it's, that to me is like, what's so hard to understand about transhumanism. It's like, you get a body, like you get to be here and have an immune system and connect to your fellow human beings. You know, many of us for like 80 years, like that's amazing. Like, why can't that just be enough? Um. Kenny, you want? I think we might be wrapping up here. And Kenny, I want to see if you have any last thoughts. My cousin, like I said, um, just again, because this is very personal. He um, he lived a life, and he he only lived thirty eight years, but he had a full life. And at the end, he made peace with things, and he has a video, you know, of that that we played at the funeral, and. You know, where he talks about um, not waiting for things to be perfect to smile. If you're waiting for things to be perfect to smile, then you're wrong. And that's all I wanted to say, because that's what I remember from him. Yeah. Um, Well, I'm glad I met Sergio. And... uh, I met him in Nicaragua and we were racing down a hill that was very muddy, very dangerous to go walking down. And he was having a lot of fun and I slipped and he laughed, but he also helped me. So, that was was him. (laughs) Um, I think I'll leave it at that. We'll call it at the episode. And I just want to say, Thank you all for doing this. I know I was nervous. Jessica, you were a little nervous. Jake was a little nervous. I don't know if it's Kenny, but I appreciate you all. And I, it, it, it just, I appreciate being in this, uh, we're in boxes here. I did get to see Jake. I'm really happy, Jake. You visited that one time. Remember way back when, you know, that, and Jessica, there's going to have to become a day where we actually meet in person. Yeah. We're not that far of a drive. I know. After the, <laughs> after the snow clears the mountain passes down for a meetup. Um, but I think, uh, nevertheless, even over this remote thing, I, I feel like something's been being built. Uh, so I really appreciate y'all being part of this. Um, so that does it for this week's episode. Jessica, Jake, and welcome back, Kenny. But thank you all again for, for being here. Um, What's Left is a weekly political podcast channel challenging the mainstream left. We post information about our topics and our guests on the episode notes, wherever you found this episode or on our blog what-s-left.webnode.com. Uh, you can find past episodes to this podcast channel there or connect and connect with us there. Uh, I, remind, I remind, remind folks, if you enjoyed this episode uh, or any previous episode we've had, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications to any of our eight platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and channels BitChute, Odyssey, YouTube, or Telegram. Um, Oh, if you'd like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. Um, But until then, 
again, Jake, Jessica, thank you. Kenny, welcome back. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Much love. <laughs>